Hello, audiobook fans. I'm Andrew Caberline. Welcome to another episode of your favorite audiobook first podcast. Today, Harper Audio presents Holiday Romance. The holiday season has crept up on us. I know it may seem early, but for some people, it's never too early to get into the spirit of the season. We're celebrating by bringing interviews with two authors who understand the magic of winter-based romance. Later on in the episode, we'll sit down with Sarah Morgan, whose latest holiday romance, A Wedding in December, is out now. But first, we'll be talking with romance superstar author Jill Shalvis. Jill and I chat about her preferred way of consuming audiobooks, how she went from being a journalism student to an author, and lemon-flavored Oreos. Seriously, there's a lot of snack talk in this one. Plus, Jill plays a game that involves coming up with plots for holiday romance novels on the spot. Please enjoy our interview with Jill Shalvis. So Wrapped Up in You is your latest Heartbreaker Bay novel. Yes. And it is a holiday romance as well. Uh, So to you, what are the rules for writing a great holiday romance? Um, I don't know anything about rules. That's not my thing. It's not in my repertoire. I If there are rules, I don't know them and I've never followed them. You're ever. Just, you're just like a rule breaker. Or I don't even... Not even a rule acknowledger. I'm not a rule acknowledger. <laughs> but if there are rules, I most likely will break them. Mm-hmm. I think as long as I deliver happy ever after, I'm fine. Yeah. That's like as long as you get to that yes, point, yes. everyone will be okay with it. So yes. do, do you have a different way then that you approach uh, writing your, your holiday-based romances as opposed to your the rest of the year romances. I should say I love writing holiday romances, and I try to do one every year. But there's no, it's no different for me than any other story. I like to just tell a story that has a good ending. That's the most important thing for me. And this hot one wrapped up in you happens to have a lot of holiday story in it, mm-hmm. but it's still a love story at the heart of it. That's wonderful. So the only difference is it might be a little colder in yes, the holiday romances. Yes, and there might be yeah. you know Santa and elves and stuff like that. But <laughs> other than that, normal. Um. Do your holiday seasons resemble the holiday seasons in your novels in any way? How different is like the holidays in the Shalvis home versus in your novels? Well, the Shalvis home is a very crowded, noisy, boisterous place. <laughs> and also rules don't always apply in the Shalvis home. So our holidays, I would say, are maybe a little busier, a little noisier, and not nearly as neat and tidy. <laughs> uh, what did you learn while writing Wrapped Up in You? What did I learn? Well, I learned that I can eat 12 boxes of lemon Oreos in the writing of that book. Wow, you just blew my mind. 12 boxes. I wasn't even aware that lemon was a flavor of Oreos you don't know what you're missing, let me tell you. Yeah, please, please educate me. You must have lemon Oreos. They're the best. They're actually better than the regular, even better than double stuffed, but I digress. (laughs) (laughs) Are Are there... like a, a million new flavors of Oreos now. I yeah, realize now I've been not looking at there the are. right place in the shopping mart. There's also, this is disgusting, but someone sent me a picture of wasabi oh, Oreos. Oh my gosh. Never going to happen for me. Oh, are you, are you not a like sushi or wasabi person? I am neither. <laughs> gotcha. I have to tell you though, and this is the best tangent to go on, that I uh, recently had a friend of mine go to Japan and bring back a bunch of Kit Kats that apparently they have. Were they wasabi Kit Kats? Well, they have like 100 flavors of Kit Kats in Japan. So we were like, 
Yeah, we were uh, eating them, and I don't speak or read Japanese, so we were looking at the packaging and trying to determine what we thought it was going to be. And there was one that we were convinced was like, "Oh, this is going to be green tea." Oh and no! And then it was wasabi. Did you so. almost die? I, you know, I found it invigorating. And it was really exciting. <laughs> and you might want to try these Oreos. Yeah, <laughs> I do want to try those. I'll say if you're ever in Japan, the sweet potato flavored Kit Kats. Oh, no. Really good. You're no, like, no, absolutely no. not. I have to have, I'm a purebred when it comes to Kit Kats, okay? <laughs> Oreos, though, you can yes, get a bit Oreos, more. Yes, yeah. Oreos, yes. Um, this being an audiobook focused podcast, I would love to ask uh, what it's like to hear your own words in audio. If, you, if you've it's kind of a before. thrill, it yeah. really is kind of a thrill. I'm also an audio listener. I hike a lot with my dogs, and I live in the Boondocks in the Sierra Mountains, and so I often listen to books rather than read books. So I've been doing that for years and years and years. And so for me, it's a huge thrill to have my book in audio. And then. Uh, what are you listening to right now? I am re-listening to the entire J.D. Robb series. I don't mm-hmm. know if you, it's a futuristic crime series. And its I can listen to it over and over again. Yeah, I'm a repeater. I'm a comfort food type person. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm also a comfort read type of person. Yeah, yeah. You love your comfort foods, I do. Your, your lemon Oreos. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I cannot write without lemon Oreos. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite or least favorite romance trope? I have a least favorite romance okay, trope. My great. editor just reminded me of what that was. <laughs> secret babies. And it's not to say that it can't be done. And there are some excellent secret baby books out there. But for me to write a secret baby book, I can't do it unless the heroine has died, which obviously can't mm-hmm. happen. Because I cannot ever believe why she wouldn't tell the father of her baby that that baby existed. I can't get past yeah. that one little fact. So so have you attempted a secret baby book before? I, in, I've in had it as a subplot mm-hmm. before, but I usually end up fixing it. I just can't handle it when the dad doesn't know that he has a baby. <laughs> what kind of person? So that's what I mean. I yeah. like to write reliable heroines. I don't even like to read books that have protagonists that are unreliable. So it's really hard. It would be hard for me to pull that mm-hmm. off. Why, why is that that you don't like the, the unreliable narrators? I don't like some of the thrillers yeah. right now. It, I don't like when you can't tell they're a good or bad person. You're modest saying some of them. Most of the thrillers right now, I yes, feel like, yes, are Yes, that's are true. That and that's yeah. hard for me because I... I'm also, you know, a comfort eater. I'm a comfort writer and I'm a comfort reader. Mm-hmm. Like I want to know what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> your official bio defines your work as warm, funny, and sexy in that order. If you had to write a book that was only allowed to be one of those three things, what would it be and why? What are my three choices? <laughs> <laughs> the, the options were warm, funny, and sexy. I think I'd have to go funny. Mm -hmm. I can try to be serious and it never works out for me. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have anything that comes to mind if you're trying to be deathly serious and people just not taking it serious at all? (laughs) Um, Yes. I started out in nonfiction. I was a journalist major in college and I had a very, very difficult time there. (laughs) (laughs) I had a very hard time sticking to straight news, let me tell you. (laughs) Um, How did you become a writer? Well, as I said, I started off in journalism Mm -hmm. and I was um, embellishing my stories and not getting good grades. And I went to my teacher and I said, I had like an F on a paper that I, a story I added facts to, like to embellish a story and make it sound really good. And I said, this is what I want to do. What do you call this? And he said, it's called lying. (laughs) (sighs) So after that, I finally figured out it was fiction for me, not (laughs) nonfiction. What do you remember, like, what the kind of uh, embellishments you added? It was a news story. I mean, I I just said this in a panel. I think I invented fake news. Oh, no. Way back in the day. (laughs) 
the previous century. Why don't you put that in your bio? I probably <laughs> should. People might want to know. Um, did you did you always want to be a writer or a journalist? I was always or, a reader. Yeah. yeah. So for me, I just loved books, and it wasn't. I didn't start reading romance. I just read everything. I'll, I'll read any genre. I'll even read the back of a cereal box. I every week I read like People, Us Magazine, Entertainment Weekly. I'm kind of a pop culture ho and I just love everything so I knew I wanted to write because I love to read but I didn't know what I wanted to write it took me a long time to figure that out mm -hmm. what's your favorite cereal box that you've ever read the back of? well I used to you know my favorite I can't have cereal in the morning because I'm borderline diabetic so I save it so my favorite like snack food at the end of the day is like frosted flakes oh, or yeah. you know Captain Crunch the, the worst possible <laughs> cereals you know we're not what, talking about health food here no no we're certainly not what's your favorite uh, Captain Crunch flavor. Plain. The original. Plain. I Original. Yeah. I like the peanut butter one. No, I'm OG on this. Yeah. Maybe if they come out with a lemon or wasabi flavor. <laughs> Definitely not wasabi. But <laughs> I would actually try the lemon. <laughs> um, so if you weren't writing books, yes. what do you think you'd be doing right now? I used to say I would love to be a librarian or a bookstore person. Um, I'm not sure I have the attention span for either of those things. I'm actually uniquely suited for nothing else other than this. <laughs> were, you, were you a big, uh, I already I mean, I already know the answer to this, but were you a big library kid growing up? Yes, I actually out? often say I was raised in a library because mm -hmm. I was one of those kids where parents were gone, so I would walk back and forth to school by myself, and halfway home there was a library, and I would slip in, and I'd go all the way to the back where no one would bother me, and I'd open my school books I could open my chemistry book like I was working with so the library wouldn't kick librarian wouldn't kick me out or bother me. And then I would take this is actually where I discovered romance, because in the very back of the library there were racks and racks of uncategorized romance novels. They weren't categorized at that yeah. time. And they were considered naughty. So they were all the way in the back. So I would pick up a book and put it inside of my chemistry book and I would read romance all afternoon <laughs> until just before dark and then I would go home. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's I feel like I've never heard uh, of anyone actually like putting the book inside another yes. book except for like in prison. So that's, <laughs> well, that's I mean, wonderful. I was like 13, 14, so yeah. I'm pretty sure it would have been frowned upon for me to be reading these naughty historicals. That's where I got my sex education also, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they didn't want you reading those, they should have put up like a curtain in front of the yes. section or something like that. That was the prepared questions I yes. have. I also always love to ask, is there anything that I haven't asked that you really want to talk about or bring up? Well, let's see. No, I told you. Oh, well, when we were talking about my college, I did also, while I was in journalism, with a sense of maybe I should be doing fiction before it had really come to me, mm -hmm. I took a creative writing class. I turned in my first story, and my creative writing teacher told me to never quit my day job. <laughs> <laughs> and since then, I've written 105 books. And at least half of those books, the second half, the recent half, have all hit the NYT, the USA mm -hmm. Today. And so I really wish I could find that teacher and just say, maybe you shouldn't squat, try to squash people's dreams. dreams. <laughs> Do you remember what that, that story was about? I don't. Like... And I'm sure it was horrible. Let's be honest. It was probably pure <laughs> crap. But still. Um, wonderful. There was one other thing we were talking about. Oh, plotting. You were, yes, yeah. we were talking about plotting. We were talking about plotting and... Uh, there, I, I was still kind of setting stuff up while doing this, and you mentioned something about a dead body. Yeah, and it, so it I was just on interest. A, <laughs> I was just on a panel, and we were asked the question: as writers were asked, how do you keep it fresh? And why aren't all romance 
books the exact same because they all have a happy ever after they all have a love story so what makes them all different and i told the story my husband and i went in we're flying into louisville and we got separated looking for our luggage because in louisville airport there is no designated like this flight is going here so we were separated (laughs) trying to find it was a nightmare how many terminals they have and i probably only one or two i don't know it was a very small (laughs) airport but the point is we got separated and i was standing at one watching the luggage came down this huge really awkward sized bag came down and it caught my eye because it as it goes in, it was going to go back in through the tunnel. It was banging up against the tunnel because it was too big to fit in. But it was this really oddly, very oddly shaped bag. And so I'm sitting there with four people, all of us standing there looking for our luggage. And the first lady says, I bet that's a bicycle. And a guy says, no, I bet you it's golf clubs. And I said, I bet you it's a dead body. <laughs> so to me, if you have the same plot and it's this really weird, awkward looking bag, you're still going to get different stories out yeah. of everybody. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> um, after you said, like, I bet you that's a dead body, yeah. did those two people then They ran away. Yeah, I was say, like, take a few steps away <laughs> from they you. They definitely stepped back Did you me. ever see someone pick up that bag? No. Oh, it no. was just still banging up against that door. Well, why would you? I guess if you were putting your dead body there. Then my husband told me later he thought it was a bicycle, and he's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've reached the game portion of yes. the show. This is a game we're calling Thickening the Plot. So okay. hopefully you're well- is very full right now. Let's hope and that's so. depleted. We're about looked, to find out. Very nervous. Uh, we've got a list of rejected titles for holiday romance Are novels. Are some of them mine? Because I have a lot of them. Oh, if you have <laughs> any actual ones you want to give me, we'll do it. Um, and we'd love for you to give us a few plot points of what you think these books might be about. All dead um, bodies. Yeah, all dead bodies. If, if you can work dead bodies, <laughs> you could definitely work dead bodies into this first one, I feel like. Um, and who knows? Maybe we'll stumble into a future bestseller for we, you. You never know. Yeah. These are all your intellectual property now because you will have said them out loud first. Um, the first holiday romance rejected title we have is Figgy Pudding, A Christmas Love Affair. Figgy Pudding? Figgy Pudding. I, that sounds very X-rated to me. <laughs> Like, I don't think you want to hear my side of that story. Let's move on from that. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Uh, Figgy putting two X-rated to <laughs> to even be thought about. Um, the next one we have is, okay, we'll give you a, a more, a less raucous one. This is A Blizzard in Her Heart. A Blizzard in Her Heart. Well, they might have gone through Dairy Queen first. She might have eaten in <laughs> mm-hmm. one of those really large, extra large blizzards, and she has indigestion and thinks she's having a heart attack. Is that sexy enough for you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she thinks she's having a heart attack and then love ensues. Um, yeah, we should assume love ensues in spite of this story. <laughs> uh, Dairy Queen has that that way with people, I feel <laughs> like. Um, the next one we have is uh, Baby, comma, Light My Menorah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Well, I'm imagining it has a lot to do with the menorah and a fireplace in a very sexy setting. You see mm-hmm. where I'm going with this. And so we're not talking about an infant. Oh, no. Yes. No. <laughs> no. It, it's not a baby. Not a literal baby. And it's not, not a secret literal baby. We're not doing the manger like or anything that. like yeah, that in this no, one. No. No. Uh, also a happy ending. A happy ending for Baby Light My Menorah. <laughs> all all the menorah candles are lit by the end, I imagine. Okay. Um, the next one we have... <laughs> Uh, I hope you like long titles because this one's pretty long. Yeah. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. (laughs) Grandpa got his groove back. This is a bad country song. Yes. 
But it's also about what grandpa did after. To get her groove back. Yeah. I'm sorry, but all of these seem dirty to me. Do you have one that doesn't seem dirty? <laughs> yeah. I can I can try to find one that doesn't seem that dirty. So this one is, is for like kind of the very beginning of the holiday season. This is uh, His Girl Black Friday. Oh, dear. Have well, you done much Black, Black Friday, Friday shopping? Sale. Yeah. And... No, he can't buy her a Black Friday sale. That would just be all kinds of wrong. <laughs> and she can't be on sale. That's also all kinds of wrong. There's really not a way to ask a romance author to make these not sound a little wicked. You're allowed to make it sound wicked. Okay, That's well, okay. Because all of these titles you are giving me, sir, sound wicked. Don't worry. The people who listen to this show are degenerates. <laughs> oh, so cool. like, okay. so nothing that you can say will will hurt their ears. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, Got a few more. Okay, let's you hear like it. take a stab at uh, uh we got seven kisses for Kwanzaa. Oh goodness. Well, this plot is also naughty. Mhm. We have kisses. Like how We got seven of them. Yeah. How how different uh will each of these seven kisses be? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Are there seven people? You're the author. Don't look at me for that answer. <laughs> My yeah. editor would eject all of these. Are, is that true? Or any? No, she's shaking her head. Like, no, of course, these are all bestsellers, right? These are all like she a, also, big, big advance. She yeah. would also reject all of these plots, but this clearly involves seven very carefully placed kisses. <laughs> What's the difference between a carefully placed kiss and a non-carefully placed kiss? Wow. <laughs> You've got me there. You You stumped me. (laughs) We've got a few more. Um, I'm sorry. You know these are painful, right? Oh, I know. Yeah. (laughs) I I am here to to inflict pain. Like you're making me sweat. (laughs) Oh, no. I'm so sorry. Um, This is Santa Claus is coming to bed. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. (laughs) Would this be about the actual Santa or would you go more of the route of like a person who plays Santa in like a shopping mall? I actually had a book last last winter called Hot Winter Nights. Mm-hmm. And my hero and heroine had to go undercover into a Santa village. And she dressed up as a cute little elf. And he had to dress up too. And the only costume left was a little, very little, very tiny elf costume. Oh, no. And all he could fit into, barely, was just shorts. So he's wearing these little tiny itty-bitty green, basically speedo shorts. And we called him an elf. And my editor let me get away with that, so I don't know what to say. <laughs> Do you fall asleep at the wheel on that one? Is that like, no. <laughs> my hero put the hero in um, the elf on the shelf. Oh, we, no. I actually wrote the book around that line. Have Has there, I, I imagine that someone has written a straight up elf on a shelf, like romance. I did. It's called yeah. Hot Winter Nights. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thank you for playing Thickening the Plot. Oh, that was painful. Oh, man. I hope I hope that that isn't the worst part of your day now. I hope so. Actually, I, hope I, guess, it is. I guess I hope, it is. I hope, I hope it nothing is. else happens to you that that is as sweat inducing as as thickening the oh, plot. Thank you for that one. Thank you, Jill, so much yeah, for being nice. on the show. I would love to have you back on yes, whenever anytime. you want. Thank, thank you. you so much. A big thank you to Jill Shalvis for the great chat and for being such a good sport with that very difficult game. Wrapped Up in You is available now wherever you get your audiobooks. Next up, we sit down with the best-selling author of A Wedding in December, Sarah Morgan. We debate which is better, Christmas in London or Christmas in New York City. 
We also get into her advice for people going to actual weddings in December. We also reminisced about her former pet hamster. We really cover it all in this one. I had a fantastic time interviewing Sarah Morgan. I know that you're going to have a fantastic time listening to it. Enjoy. So a very important question to start off with. Uh, I've read that you have said multiple times that New York City is your favorite city. It is actually, yes. And, you know, I go there sometimes, I think, oh, gosh, I don't know, the queues from the airport and it's a bit dirty (laughs) and smelly. And then after two minutes, I think, oh, I do love it here. (laughs) You you did very accurately describe the airports in uh, New York. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you you live in London. I do. Um, So the, the big question is, which place is better to spend time at during the holiday season? Well, you know, I've got to be honest, I've never actually been to the, spent the holidays in New York. Um, Mm -hmm. Usually it's a really busy time of year for me and obviously it costs a fortune, but I would love to do it someday. (laughs) Uh, But it just hasn't ever worked out that way. Um, And London does dress up pretty well for the holidays. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's just about atmosphere, really. That's what you want. So, you know, when I'm in London, I'll go to the Natural History Museum. They've got a beautiful ice rink and it's all lit up and it's, it's lovely. It's all fairy lights and magic and just strolling through the shopping areas you know, Knightsbridge and Oxford Street, looking at the windows. And that's the sort of thing you'd be doing in New York. So it's not so different. Well, it is different, but I'm telling myself it's not. Well, you want festive spirit. <laughs> that does sound very similar to the, the holiday experience that I've had here in New York, where it's all ice rinks and shopping and yes. having the Christmas trees out. Only uh, I feel like it's been in enough movies and books and tv now that if you come right before christmas uh it will be you and like thousands and thousands yes, of people with the same exactly. idea so. lots of people i know so sometimes the thought and the romance of it is actually better than the reality isn't it <laughs> yeah i would agree with that well, well speaking of the the romance of of the holiday season of christmas and and the festivities what are your favorite and least favorite holiday traditions? My favorite? Oh, I have lots of favorites, actually. I think traditions are really one of the most fun aspects, aren't they, of the festive season? And every family and individual has their own. And I think one of my favorites is going to get the tree, um, which is always the big focus of the biggest family fight of the year. (laughs) (laughs) My my two boys and I always go for the biggest one that we can find. And my husband goes for the smallest one. And points out that we're actually going to have to move house if we have the one that we've chosen. So we try and compromise, but it's become a kind of fun tradition of how big a tree can we get past dad, you know? So so there's that. Has he been the one who's had to like uh, physically like put it in the space is that just why he's like no we can't do this again he's had to repaint the ceiling at least twice (laughs) because the tree has kind of dug a great hole in the (laughs) so what's the what's the biggest tree that you guys have ever bought about i don't know seven seven and a half eight foot maybe that's quite big because i don't think our ceilings are that high <laughs> and we he's definitely had to chop a bit off the bottom with a great big eye roll when we get it oh, no. <laughs> but i love all that i love that and you know we've got decorations that we've had you know for years that you know they sort of mark travels that we've done things we've picked up things that the boys who are now grown up but you know when they were little things that they made that I still have which I love to bring out and embarrass Mm -hmm. them and you know that kind of thing (laughs) Do do you have a favorite ornament for your trees or do you just go with like a bare tree 
oh no, we have all sorts of ornaments and they all have a bit of history attached to them. So I really like it. I do love the things that the children made when they were little, you know, the baked mm. stars that have actually managed to survive with no mould, which I don't know, they were obviously a quality <laughs> production. <laughs> the mould, I feel like, is the the thing that's supposed to be built in to prevent you Absolutely. from keeping those too long. So it's impressive that they've, it is, they've been able yeah. to last. It's really good, yeah. But I love all that and I love all big noisy family gatherings and I love that. There's not much that I hate that maybe Black Friday, which has become a tradition that I really don't know. I mean, I hide away from that. Was your hate built in from the start or did you attempt it and have like a bad experience? No, never, never. I'm not really that great with manic crowds, really. You know, I just, I like the idea. It's like you just said about, you know, New York, it sounds so romantic, but when you go there and it's heaving, you think actually this isn't an awful lot of fun, really. (laughs) It seems, yeah, it seems really nice until there's an hour and a half wait to get into the Lego store and you're like, do I really like Legos that much? No, exactly. No, I I don't don't really. So probably Black Friday (laughs) is my only thing that I don't really like. Yeah. So part of the reason that I wanted to talk to you specifically uh, getting ready for this holiday season is that you, you strike me as someone who has a really clear sense and love of the holidays and I think it's reflected in your work Um, but you don't write just holiday romance so I wonder is is there a different way or a uh, approach that you have to do when writing your holiday romance as opposed to your conventional romance Oh, that's a really good question. Um, and the short answer is yes, sort of. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm very aware of what the reader wants from a holiday romance because it's what I want to. Um, you know, I'm a reader too. And it isn't quite the same as a summer romance or one that takes part, um, happens at any other time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um In many ways, the key elements are the same in every book. Uh, You want interesting characters, plenty of emotional tension, lots happening to keep the reader guessing. But the one key difference in a holiday romance is the setting and also the feel, the whole feel of the story. And setting in a story is always important. It doesn't matter what you're writing. It's never Mm -hmm. a random choice. Um, It always has to add something to the story. It's almost another character. But I think the difference with a holiday romance Um, is that the setting has two roles, really. One is to feed into the story. And the holiday season obviously does provide lots of plot opportunities for us writers. I mean, you have lots of family gatherings that would only happen because of the time of year. So it forces Mm -hmm. people together. And that's obviously a fantastic source of inspiration. And and it forces (laughs) conflict, too. Exactly, (laughs) being trapped. I mean, it's, you know, it's basically trapped. And the winter weather (laughs) might trap people as well. And whenever you're trapped with people, that's always fantastic from a plot point of view. Um, So, So what I hear you saying is that the only difference between like uh, a holiday romance and let's say like John Carpenter's The Thing is that all of the people are family in the holiday romance. Yeah, like- exactly. And for some people, that is the worst nightmare, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I think when when people buy a holiday romance, you know, they want to be wrapped in that lovely, snowy, wintry, sparkly, magical, festive feeling. And if they didn't want that, they'd just go out and buy, you know, a romance set at any time of the year. They want the whole winter wonderland feeling. So... Mm-hmm. I don't approach the writing any differently, um, but I'm always very conscious of the importance of giving readers all those lovely, wintry, cosy feelings. Mm-hmm. And I think it isn't <laughs> it isn't that readers who love holiday romance necessarily love winter. Uh, the fact that you don't want something to happen in real life is the whole point of fiction. <laughs> you know, you might love a thriller or a crime novel. You want to be scared. 
but in a safe way. You don't actually want to go down a dark tunnel or hear footsteps on a lonely road. And it's the same with yeah. No, I try to avoid wintry stories. Yeah. You know, we want to experience all the snowy winter wonder without actually having to suffer frostbite or <laughs> skid on the ice or sit in a traffic jam for nine hours because no one has cleared the roads. You know, that's reality and fiction is That about- sounds like that maybe came from a place of uh, experience with <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I'm in the UK and we're not terribly good with snow. You know, a couple of flakes and the whole country grinds to a halt so but (laughs) there's nothing cozier than being snuggled up at home in front of the fire while it's snowing outside the window providing Mm -hmm. you don't have to go anywhere and and when I write holiday fiction those are the feelings I'm trying to give the reader it's that lovely cozy comforting um, feeling which let's face it's in pretty short supply right now (laughs) yeah yeah well well going from the the fiction to the facts um do you have any particular favorite holiday memory from your life that maybe has informed uh, any of the holiday romance that you've written? Gosh, that's really interesting. Well, I was proposed to uh, at Christmas. Does that count? Oh, well, there you go. That, <laughs> yes, yes, that counts. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I was, although actually I don't I don't know that that informed the romance because I uh, mm-hmm. my writing, because I was already writing um, before then. But yeah, so maybe, you know, maybe he picked up a few tips on my love of Christmas and decided that was a really good time <laughs> to do it. <laughs> but yeah, that that, nice? mm-hmm. yeah, frozen lake, mountains, snowy, we were actually away. Yes. Yeah, so it was all very, very lovely. Just like one of my books, actually. Oh, wow. He did yeah. a good job. Yeah. Yeah. One. Yeah. He did. Fair yeah. play. <laughs> <laughs> um, your latest holiday romance is A Wedding in December. That's uh, right. What do you hope that your readers experience when they read a wedding in December? Well, that's a really good question as well. You know, I just want them to love it. (laughs) I want them to have a relaxing moment. I definitely want them to laugh because this particular book does have funny moments, although humor, of course, is subjective. Um, But so is all of reading. And, you know, if there's one thing I've learned about books, it's that we all as readers read a different book. So, you know, I might love a book, recommend it to a friend and they might not love it. So we, I think we all bring our, reading is personal and I think we bring our personal experiences to it. Um, and I get so many lovely messages and emails and letters f- that show that readers take different things from a book. Um, and those are really nice, you know, and sometimes I don't write any book with a message in mind ever. I just write mm-hmm. the story that I want to write. But then I'm quite, touched by the number of um, messages I'll get from readers saying that the book's inspired them in some way or sometimes it's just that it's comforted them you know they've had a really they're in they're going through a tough time and the book's comforted them and I suppose I really like that Uh, you know I used to be a nurse I think there's still a bit of nurse in me I quite Mm -hmm. like the fact that my book might cheer up somebody's dark moment Um, you know you can't fix everything with a book sometimes you can make a bad moment better and you know that's the best compliment really how long were you a nurse for? Oh gosh, I don't know, about eight, eight, nine, ten years. And I mean, that was great because I worked in the ER, which has given me loads of material. You know, you really do see um, people in their most raw and vulnerable state, teaches you a lot about how people react under pressure. Um, So it was, it's always been very useful experience, actually. Yeah. And I still use it. I was going to I was going to ask exactly how you like use that experience, just like in the, in the way that you write. I imagine it kind of has, just how you said it made 
uh, working under pressure probably much easier. Yes, absolutely. And I think about making you look deeply into people and why they behave in certain ways and understanding that what you see, how the way you see a person behave at a time of crisis you know, might not be mm-hmm. the way they are normally. Um, you know, when we're put under pressure, and of course, as writers, we're putting our characters under pressure. But when we're put under pressure, we do sort of show different different aspects of ourselves, really. It's about being vulnerable. And when you're a nurse, you see that, really. You see that. Wow. Um, so you, you heard it here first, aspiring writers. If you want to write <laughs> motivations for, for humans well, uh, be a nurse for a little while. <laughs> Well, I think it certainly does teach you a lot. And also it's very useful for, I've had a lot of doctors in my books and, um, you know, I've used a lot of scenarios and things mm-hmm. that I remember from, you know, my nursing days. And that's been, that's been quite useful. And in fact, I mean, I, I started writing medical romance. If I hadn't been a nurse, who knows where I would have started. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I can ask you for a piece of advice, um, as the author of A Wedding in December, I'm getting to that age where most of the the friends in my life are getting married and I'm going to a lot of weddings. Uh, I'm going to my first wedding in December in oh. just uh, a little while. Gosh, what that's advice exciting. do you have for me? For, it really for is that? a wedding in December. Yeah. Oh. Well, of course, there might not be a wedding in my book. I'm not telling you that. It's a mystery. Does it or doesn't it not happen? I feel Hopefully. like that would be a pretty misleading title if, if there wasn't. Hopefully, the wedding that you're going to will happen. Um, yeah, I, I hope so too. <laughs> well, I would say dress warmly. Well, I don't know. Where is it? Is, mm-hmm. it, is it the Caribbean? Are you going to the Caribbean? Uh, no, I wish. No, it's in, it's in Virginia. Oh, it's you in, definitely uh, need to dress warmly. Yeah. <laughs> dress yeah. warmly and yes, wish them every happiness and hopefully they are well suited. <laughs> They're from, they live in LA, which is why I found it very interesting that they decided to come back to a cold place for yes. uh, the December wedding. But Indeed. I guess they they're just they just want their love to go through a test right at the start. I maybe, guess. <laughs> yeah, or maybe they like the romantic idea of snow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so uh, Lucy Traeger narrates the audiobook for A Wedding in December and something I always like to ask is do you listen to your own books on audio? Do you know I I don't tend to but let me first start by saying I do love audiobooks I really do Um, I mean it's like being read to isn't it and who doesn't love that Um, I don't tend to listen to my own books for pleasure because I'm really really a perfectionist and I will hear mistakes so once they get to the stage where they're being read by somebody wonderful by Lucy it's too late for me to do anything with them Um, (laughs) but I do read my own books aloud as a it's a very effective method of editing because you hear rhythm and pace and it helps you check dialogue Um, so hearing my book aloud from someone else is not really relaxing because I constantly just want to change things but over time (laughs) and this is quite funny because I've always read my books aloud but I used to just read them aloud in a very sort of quick perfunctory way and Mm -hmm. now since the advent of audiobooks and listening to audiobooks myself I now read them more like a narrator (laughs) so that (laughs) when I'm reading them I'm kind of acting them out so I have to do this when there's nobody else around otherwise it's really embarrassing (laughs) I guess it's something you have to take into account too with with the growth Growing trend of of people hearing your words rather than reading them. Yes, uh, that that is a, a totally different way that people 
interpret and experience it. And you have to kind of make sure that that's on the up and up as well. Yes, it is. And I mean, you know, you do, as I say, I've always done it because you hear rhythm and pace and it helps you check dialogue. And it's as close as you'll get to mirroring the reader experience, I think, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. So so it's really great. Um, but I don't tend to listen to my own because um, I want to be lost in the story. That's what audio is for me. And if I'm editing my own books as I'm going along, I'm thinking, oh, no, why did I say that? That's not relaxing. Mm-hmm. So audio for me is listening to somebody, you know, is listening to somebody else's book, really. Um, although, as uh, I say, I, I now read my own in a narrator voice. So that's <laughs> entertaining. What's well, entertaining for me? <laughs> what does, uh, could you give us a bit of what yeah. your narrator voice do you sounds want, like? Uh, do you want, do you want that before? Well, do you want me to give you an example of how I used to read it when I was, and how I do it now? Oh, okay. please do. That sounds Here's great. A, okay. This is a, I've got a copy here, right? So I'm just picking a random a random spot. So this is the the mother of the bride. She's Maggie is one of the main protagonists and she's been invited to the daughter. You know, obviously it's the daughter's suddenly announced that she's getting married and Maggie's thinking, oh no, because they're actually separated and they haven't found a way to tell the girls yet. So mm. she opens the door. In the old days, I would have thought, right, Nick stood there. His long wool coat was one he'd had for years. He wore it with a collar turned up and his favourite scarf wrapped around his neck. He gave her the same crooked <laughs> smile. Okay, you get it. That's, that's how I Sounds used like to do it. Sounds like you're trying to get me out okay. of the door. Now, now, the sound of the doorbell cut through her thoughts and she walked to the door and opened it. Nick stood there. His long wool coat was one he'd had for years. He wore it with the collar turned up and his favourite scarf wrapped round his neck. He gave her the same crooked smile that had snagged her attention all those years before and she felt a rush of sadness. Where had their love gone? There'd been no great falling out. See, I'm laughing now. I can't do this in public. <laughs> no, I think, but, I think you should try to go be on one of those BBC radio plays. I feel like I, that's, that's your next calling. That's my narrator voice. That's my narrator voice. And then I'll suddenly be reading and I'll think, oh no, that doesn't sound right at all. And I'll change it because obviously I'm doing this before it's published. <laughs> so in fact, I'm doing it on a book now and I'm reading it in my narrator voice and closing the door because I'm so self-conscious and I don't want everybody in the house to be hearing me and my terrible acting ability. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was great. You got to give yourself a bit more credit. Um... <laughs> well, I'm not Lucy. I'm not Lucy, that's for sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> um... Something I I really wanted to ask you about. Um, So in in doing research uh, before interviewing you, I saw on your website that you mentioned that you knew you wanted to be a writer when you were eight years old. And that is such a specific statement. I know. I know. I'm curious what the like story or the epiphany behind, like what was that moment at eight years old that you were like, that's it. I know. And it really was like that. And I remember it distinctly. I was writing the biography of my hamster. And I'm, <laughs> yeah, really, I was. I remember where I was sitting and I made multiple copies with covers. I mean, this was basically a mass market paperback complete with a full print run. And I, mm-hmm. I said to my mother, I made one for everyone in the family. They were ever so polite. Um, and I said to my mother that I wanted to be a writer when I was older. And she said, well, that's fine and good, but you'll need to get another job too because you might not be able to make a living writing. And <laughs> that was good advice, you know. I mean, I have to say she was very encouraging. She did not discourage me, but she was very realistic and she was right on many levels, um, not just because the chances of deciding you want to be a writer and then the next day earning enough money to live on, um, well, that's fantasy, but also because, you know, living life gives you things to write about. You know, we've talked yeah. about, you know, being a nurse, and what what that did for me and how much 
you know, I just saw so much and you have to live life to be able to write about it. Um, and also I'm quite unusual in that I'm an extrovert. Um, so to sort of sat down at 18 and started writing all on my own in a room, uh, I would have just gone slowly um, batshit crazy, I think. <laughs> I think that's a technical term for it, yeah, right? very, very. <laughs> and, you know, you need to hear how people talk. You need to see how people act. And so I think writing is a great thing to do alongside other things as well for a while. Um, yeah, so I knew I wanted to be a writer. And, you know, being published, I didn't even think about being published, really. That wasn't part of it. For me, it was just about telling stories. Um, that's and beautiful. I, you know, even if I wasn't published now, I would still write, uh, definitely. Uh, so. um, can can I ask um, what the impetus for writing the biography of your hamster was? <laughs> was this like a sign to you or did you just like decide oh, no. like this hamster I, has lived a life and people yeah. need to know about it? He, deci- he was a fascinating character. I decided everybody needed to um, have insight into his character. Yeah. Then I have a, an important holiday themed question for you. I don't know if this is kind of how it goes in the UK as well, but there's been an ever growing trend with uh, – American television that every channel kind of on Christmas proper picks one movie that they are like, all right, we're just going to run that movie for 24 hours. <laughs> if you were a channel, what is the the Christmas movie that you think needs to be seen by everybody that you would play for 24 hours? My, well, do you know, my one, my favorite Christmas movie mm-hmm. is probably While You Were Sleeping. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Yeah. I can feel my family rolling their eyes thinking she's going to make us watch it. But I love that. I love that movie <laughs> because it's got humor and I love it. It's got a bit of everything. It's got humor and it's it's a bit sad and it's got a lovely ending. And yeah, I really like And I love the family. You see, I love the family cameos where they all get together. Mm-hmm. I bet you haven't seen it, have you, Andrew? You've got to no, go I've, watch I've it. Seen, I've seen you? While You Were Sleeping, of course. Okay, yeah. well, I, I was. I was movie. also the youngest of three children. So I well, feel like my... my um, Rolodex of entertainment that I'm aware of goes back way before I was born. Okay, so that's fine. That's I, I, good. I can go well, good I love direction. the family yeah. dynamics where they all. I mean, that's. I guess that's the kind of thing that I like to write. Uh, you know, where everybody's talking about something different at the dinner table, and mm-hmm. you know, and they're all interfering in a really annoying but adorable way. And I, I just think that that's kind of the perfect Christmas movie. Really, I mean, there are lots of other Christmas movies that I like, but that would be my. Yeah, if I was playing something 24 yeah. hours a day, it would be that. And of course, I do play it 24 hours a day <laughs> as we get close to Christmas, much to my family's horror. Well, that's a great one just because I, I that's not one that I categorize as a Christmas movie all that much. But you're absolutely right. It is. Yes. Um, yes I guess it's just not really. one of the things that, that pokes out about it. But that's yeah. great. It slips into New Year's, doesn't it? And then you've got lots of snow. And yeah, no, yeah. I, I think it definitely counts as a holiday movie. You know, we can never be settled with just what we have going on right now. So looking down the pipeline, uh, what what is next for you? Well, the funny thing is that I've just started my Christmas book for next year. So, oh, um, got to yeah, do it early. Absolutely. I'm already, I'm already into that, which is great because usually my Christmas, writing the Christmas book uh, straddles Christmas, but then goes through into March. And, you know, I have to try and keep myself feeling Christmassy and festive in March long after the decorations have been taken down. <laughs> so that's always quite fun because I'll, you know, uh, my 
family all walk into the room and I've got Christmas trees still and I'm singing and I've got, it's Christmas <laughs> six months of the year in my house for that reason. So I've just started <laughs> this book. I know it's great. It's how you keep it going. But, uh, you know, it's like magazines, isn't it? When magazines are usually filming their Christmas spreads in July when it's boiling yeah. and, you know, I'm writing Is that where Christmas, Christmas in July comes from? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yes, it probably is. <laughs> so that's what I'm working on at the moment um, because my summer book's obviously finished. Uh, so because we work, I'm working sort of a year ahead, really. So, yes, mm-hmm. so I'm currently working on next year's Christmas book. Um, is there anything um, you can you can tell us? Maybe just like a line about it, no, or is that totally no, under wraps? No, because I honestly cannot talk about a book at this stage because it completely jinxes it. But you're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to totally love it. It's going to be uh, sort of my usual fun. It is funny. I think it's funny. It's making me laugh anyway. So that we are. That's good. Um, <laughs> and it'll be festive and snowy, and yeah, it'll be lovely. And and it's set in Scotland, which I love. Ooh, all yes. right. I'm on board. Um, <laughs> So the the final question and maybe the most important question uh, for any other inquiring minds listening who are maybe people in your life, uh, what do you want for Christmas this year? Gosh, I didn't know you were going to ask me that, and I have absolutely no idea. Do you know? You got to be I, prepared at all times. I know, you never you know. You do. You do. Yeah. Um, what do I want? I, I know it sounds really... I'm also asking you at like full transparency to go behind the curtain. This is kind of early to be asked this. Uh, no, it's when not. I've done half my Christmas shopping for everyone else. <laughs> of course I have. Um, do you know, I just want everybody to get together. I really like it. You know, as, as your sort of children get older and you have less time to spend together, I just really love the holidays and, and getting together. And that's that's what I want, really. I, I can't think of things that I like, but I do just love all getting together. Right? That's a real treat. Well, I think that that is definitely a doable gift uh, for you so. this year. <laughs> uh, Sarah, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much well, for being a part of this. I hope I've you get everything it. you want this holiday season. Thank you, and you. I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you again to Sarah Morgan. A Wedding in December is available now wherever you get your audiobooks. So we're going to close this episode with clips from the audiobooks of our esteemed guests. First up, we're going to hear from Wrapped Up in You by Jill Shalvis and performed by Aaron Mallon. Then you'll hear A Wedding in December by Sarah Morgan, performed by Lucy Traeger. Enjoy. Stay down. No, she would not stay down. Mostly because Ivy Snow didn't know the meaning of the words. Not once in her hard-knock, scrappy life had she ever stayed down. So she popped back up, using a spin and a roundhouse kick to level her opponent. Her kickboxing partner and friend hit the mat and grinned from flat on her back. That's gotta be worth at least a donut. You're buying. Can't, Ivy said, eyeing the time. I've gotta get to work. Well, damn, Sadie sat up and yawned. I've still got a whole hour and a half before I have to do the same, which means I'm going back to bed. And if I'm lucky, Caleb will still be in it. Caleb was Sadie's fiance. Ignoring the little spurt of envy at the thought of having someone waiting in bed for her, Ivy hit the locker room to shower and change. Fifteen minutes later, suitably beaten up by their four times a week kickboxing session, she left the gym. It was 6 a.m., her very least favorite time of the day, and she shivered unhappily. It was two weeks before Christmas, which for San Francisco meant it could be any weather at all. 
Today, it was 45 degrees and she'd forgotten her jacket. She was on a budget, a tight one, but it wasn't worth freezing to death for a couple of bucks. So she decided to forego walking and hopped on a bus rather than turn into a human popsicle. A guy in a suit, sneakers, and holding a huge energy drink took the seat next to her, giving her a not-so-discreet once-over. Morning, he said with a charming smile. And yes, she just felt a little wistful about not having anyone waiting for her in her bed, but that was fantasy, and Ivy was nothing if not grounded in reality. These days, she prided herself on her sharply honed survivor skills, but in the past, she definitely failed herself in the man department. This was in good part thanks to a wanderlust lifestyle and a weakness for sexy grins that promised and usually delivered trouble. Like this guy's. But that was all behind her now, she'd promised herself. So she gave him a vague, not interested smile and turned away to look out the window. Rude? Probably. But she was calloused, and as every guy she'd ever let in too close had complained, a tough nut to crack. The words cold and scary had also been thrown around. She didn't mind. She actually liked it, even if the image went completely against her Disney princess-like moniker, Ivy Snow. Maybe especially because it did. Her name had been a bone of contention for a long time, but it wasn't like she'd named herself. Her mother had done that, reportedly on some good prescription meds at the time. At her stop, she exited the bus and walked the last two blocks to work, getting a little happier with each step because one, exercise was over for the day, and two, she loved her job. For as long as she could remember, her entire life had been transient. This was mostly thanks to a dad who'd taken off a long time ago, and a lounge singer mom who changed bar gigs like other women changed nail polish. As a result, Ivy had gone to a bunch of different schools, managing to slip through a whole bunch of cracks while she was at it. Luckily, she had been insanely curious and loved reading and had taught herself most of the time. As a result, she was a pro chameleon and excelled at temporary. Temporary friends, temporary jobs, temporary life. It had suited her for a long time, until it hadn't. She'd woken up one day about a year ago and had realized she'd changed. Moving around no longer suited her, and she was over living out of a backpack. So at the dubiously mature age of 28, she was trying a new lane. She'd settled in the Cow Hollow District of San Francisco, running a thing called the Taco Truck, and living in an apartment that had her name on the lease. Roots, after a lifetime of running, being invisible and just barely getting by, she was growing roots. She was going for a life that until now had existed for her only on TV and in the movies, meaning friends and family, real family, who'd stick with her through thick and thin. And maybe, maybe even someone to love. When her phone rang at three in the morning, ripping her from a desperately needed sleep, Maggie's first thought was bad news. Her mind raced through the possibilities, starting with the worst-case scenario. Death, or at least life-changing injury. Police, ambulances. Heart-pounding, brain-foggy, she grabbed her phone from the summit of her teetering pile of books. The name on the screen offered no reassurance. Trouble stalked her youngest daughter. Rosie? 
she fumbled for the light and sat up. The book she'd fallen asleep reading thudded to the floor, scattering the pile of Christmas cards she'd started to write the night before. She'd chosen a winter scene of snow-laden trees. They hadn't had a flake of snow in the village on Christmas Day for close to a decade. They often joked that it was a good thing their last name was White, because it was the only way they were ever going to have a white Christmas. She snuggled under the blanket with the phone. Has something happened? The physical distance between her and Rosie made her feel frustrated and helpless. Everyone said global travel made the world smaller, but it didn't seem smaller to Maggie. Why couldn't her daughter have continued her studies closer to home? Oxford, with its famous spires and ancient colleges, was only a few miles away. Rosie had done her undergraduate degree there, followed by a master's. Maggie had loved having her close by. They'd taken sunlit strolls along cobbled streets, past ancient honey-coloured buildings and through Christchurch meadows golden with daffodils. They'd followed the slow meander of the river and cheered on the rowing crews. Maggie had hoped, privately, that her daughter might stay close by, but after Rosie had graduated, she'd been offered a place in a US doctoral programme complete with full funding. Can you believe it, Mum? The day she'd had the news, she'd danced across the living room, hair flying around her face, twirling until she was dizzy, and Maggie was dizzy watching her. Are you proud of me? Maggie had been proud and dismayed in equal measure. Although she'd hidden the dismayed part, of course. That was what you did when you were a parent. Even she could see it was too good an opportunity to turn down. But still a small part of her had wished Rosie had turned it down. That transatlantic flight from the nest left Maggie with email, Skype and social media, none of which felt entirely satisfactory. Even less so in the middle of the night. Had Rosie only been gone for four months? It felt like a lifetime since they'd delivered her to the airport on that sweltering summer's day. Is it your asthma? Are you in hospital? What could she do if Rosie was in the hospital? Nothing. Anxiety was a constant companion, never more so than now. If it had been her eldest daughter, Katie, who had moved to a different country, she might have felt more relaxed. Katie was reliable and sensible. But Rosie... Rosie had always been impulsive and adventurous. I'm not in hospital, don't fuss. Only now did Maggie hear the noise in the background. Cheering, whooping. Do you have your inhaler with you? You sound breathless. The sound woke the memories. Rosie, eyes bulging, lips stained blue. The whistling sound as air struggled to squeeze through narrowed airways. Maggie making emergency calls with hands that shook almost too hard to hold the phone. The terror raw and brutal, although she kept that hidden from her child. Calm, she'd learned, was important, even if it was faked. Harper Audio Presents is a presentation of HarperCollins Publishers. Our staff includes Beth Ives, Fametta Sawyer, Nathan Rossborough, and me, Andrew Caberline. Follow us on Instagram at HarperAudio and reach out to us on Twitter at HarperAudio Presents.